Hey, Scott. Yes, Adam. How did I... How did I do on that bobsled run? Uh, not bad, but why are you out of breath? I don't even know. Coming to you almost live from a bobsled run at the Sochi Winter Games, this is The Unknown Studio. I'm Scott. I'm Adam. We are your uh, delightfully warm hosts. Yes. Because it is unnaturally and unseasonably warm in Sochi, Russia. It's very strange. It's very strange to be surrounded by warmth and to be surrounded by Russians. Yeah. And who knew I could bobsled? Uh, clearly not the coach of Team Canada. Yes. who Because you were not on the bobsled team. Yeah, and demanded. And I don't know why you were allowed to do that bobsled. I, I wasn't. I was, I, was told, I was told unequivocally to get the fuck off that course. <laughs> um, it took me 10 minutes to get down it. Um, turns out you need a bobsled to go down a bobsled course. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Not just As a, opposed to just riding it like a water slide. <laughs> yeah. No, I had one of those uh, weird plastic discs that uh, the children sit on oh. when they go down the... You should have used a crazy carpet. That would have been insane. <laughs> <laughs> you got that one, yeah. everybody? Right on. Well, hey, here we are, another unknown studio. We're just we're just cranking these motherfuckers out these days. Uh, well, on our normal schedule, yeah, which just seems like more frequent than the not making them that we have been doing. I think we can still pat ourselves on the back for that. Why not? Now, uh, as we mentioned in our previous episode, yeah, and which I will bring up again now, uh, we are doing this episode and our next episode back to back. That's right. Due to uh, Adam's vacation schedule coming up. And then there will be a, a week where there will not be one. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, and that's then right. we will be back on our normal schedule. Yeah. So, so you'll get two back-to-back, and then you'll have two weeks without. Yeah. And then we'll be back. And, and as we mentioned in the last episode, we will be talking about the Oscars next episode, whether we have seen the films or not. And whether we have guests to talk about. That's right. Not. Yeah. Uh, I we, need to book those. We have not lined any particular person up. I would tease them. We don't know who they are. We don't. We literally have no we idea. Will, we will have someone. Probably. Someone will be on the show to talk about at, movies. At least one person. Yes. Other than us. Other than us. Indeed. Yeah. So, so look forward to that because you have to. <laughs> Assuming that you are compelled to listen to this podcast. Which which if let's face it, if you're sitting there right now listening to us, you have been compelled. Yes. The power of podcasting compels you. Uh yeah. Now this is going to be a great episode. Yes. I'd say I would argue, you know, after having done the bobsled thing and we've been hanging out in Russia these last few weeks, uh, that it's already a great episode. Oh uh, well agreed. But it's going to get greater, because in the second half of the show, we will have uh, Edmonton Mayor Don Iveson on with us. That's right. And, uh, and, uh, and Second time uh, guest, first time mayor, Don Iveson. That's right. And we get to do, he was the first person, we've talked about this before, but he was the first guest we had on who did our Fast 15. Because you invented the Fast 15 <laughs> while we were talking. I literally dreamed it up. That's right. Um, and then I wrote things down. Yes. And uh, yeah, so Don was our first, uh, our first Fast 15 guest, and he will do the revised Fast 15. Which he has different. not done. Yes, That's right. We yeah. have changed some of the questions. But for those of you who are curious, some of the questions are the same, and you could go back and re-listen to our second ever episode to see if any of his favorites have changed. 
yeah. in that time. You could go, yeah, just look up Don Iveson on our site. I think there's a search bar there somewhere. It's somewhere. The internet will help you find that episode. Probably. Also on iTunes, you can just scroll back. Yeah, it's far true. enough, and you'll find it. Now, before the show, you and I were talking about uh, about television, as we so often do. Yes, and how there is uh, there's been some really great stuff out there. Yes, and what I find interesting is that a lot of it, or or some of it anyway, is coming from Netflix, which is yes. really interesting. I mean, these guys came out of I don't want to say out of nowhere. They've been around doing the DVD rental thing for a long time. And uh, and then they started to do the video streaming. They are the authority, I think. I think that's fair to say. Certainly, certainly in North America. I don't know if that might be the case worldwide. I suspect perhaps that it is. That's probable. But they're the authority on streaming television and film. Yes. And the cool thing is that for a number of years now, they've been releasing their own unique content. Yes. They've been developing they've shows. They've actually uh, put some money into making some television. And, and some of it has been okay. Yep. And some of it has been wildly successful. Mm -hmm. uh, Orange is the New Black. Yes, very successful. Is Netflix original. Yeah. Uh, House of Cards, which starts its second season as we record this. That's right. Now, are both the UK and US versions of House of Cards Netflix originals? No. Oh, okay. The UK series is uh, older. Mm -hmm. I don't... I don't know off the top of my head how old, but it is it is an established series. Okay, and uh, they decided to make uh, an American. I don't want to say remake. I want to say uh, a series inspired by it. an adaptation. Yeah, 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 an adaptation of it, and uh, it has been very well received. I watched the first season; it was quite good. Was it not nominated for a couple of Golden Globes? Yes, which yeah. was uh, considered uh, quite surprising because it's internet television. Impugning upon <laughs> broadcast and cable televisions, yeah. domain, but it was uh, some well earned nominations. Kevin Spacey is very, very good in it, mm -hmm. and uh, it's got a stellar cast besides just him. Yeah, um, but he's a very strong central figure, and it's dark and it's compelling and it's dark. Now I, I really can't emphasize how dark it is. It, it is dark. It's not. It's not like watching The West Wing. Uh, it would, it's like watching the West Wing if the West Wing was incredibly cynical. <laughs> Which it is not. No. It is the furthest thing from, in fact. Yeah. Um, but, but a lot of people were really excited about this, the season two of House of Cards coming out. So it's, it's yeah. great to see that, you know, Netflix is, is doing this kind of thing. And, and I don't know, I, I don't know exactly where they started, but, but when I was aware of them, uh, starting to make their own content was around Arrested Development's fourth season. Yes, uh, that that was around the same time as the first season of House of Cards. Okay, I don't know if they were uh, uh, necessarily released like side by side, but the the timeline for that is is very similar. Right, and and we've talked a little bit about this, but uh, how do you feel about uh, Arrested Development season four? I think that it was good. Yeah. Uh, I don't know that it was as good as the first three seasons. I think that the amount of time off... It was the same thing with Futurama. The amount of time off in between mm -hmm. um, meant that the, uh, the processes and the rhythms and, uh, and what have you that were in place for the first three seasons have gotten rusty. Yeah. And in many ways, the, the people doing the show again have to relearn how to do it. And try to recapture that magic. And it's even worse a little bit for Arrested Development than it was for Futurama, because with Arrested Development, they actually tried to do something different 
yeah, with the new season. They because did. they were aware of the format that they were going to be released in. It wasn't going to be episodic. They were releasing it all at once. You could watch the you could binge watch the whole thing if you wanted. Which many people did. And they were aware of that. So they decided to try to tell a story differently using the the familiar characters and and situations and settings from Arrested Development. And it was funny and I think it worked, but it was different enough that I think it turned some people off. I agree. Yeah. I mean, I, I enjoyed it, but it was dramatically different from what I was used to. They, For those of you who haven't watched it, we're not going to give anything away, but they do um, they do tend to take each episode and use it to focus on a specific character, which yes. isn't really what you're used and, to. And in many ways, tell an intertwining story. So you're getting kind of pieces of the puzzle, and only after you've watched the whole season... Is it all in context? Which, if you're sitting down to binge watch it, actually works really well. Yes. Because I think each episode is still only about 20 minutes long. Yeah. And there are 10 of them? That sounds about I, right. I think 10 or 12, maybe. But anyway, uh, definitely worth watching. If you are an Arrested Development fan, um, I don't know what the right, right thing to say here is, but I, I don't want to say don't get your hopes up, because I do believe that it's very good. Yeah. But... Don't expect it to be the same thing. No. Go in with an open mind. Yes, exactly. That is what... And give it a few episodes, because the first couple episodes are laying a lot of the groundwork for what comes late, for what pays off in spades later. Yeah, and a lot of shit you see in those first few episodes and subsequent episodes isn't going to make any sense. Until you rewatch it after you've watched the whole series. Exactly, yeah, yeah. So it's great to see them cranking out hits. Uh, not Not to say that Arrested Development necessarily is a hit... Per se. Now, uh, in addition to Netflix, we've also uh, spoken a little bit about about uh, television being produced by some of the, the the more specialty channels, shall we say? Yeah. Your your HBOs, your Showtimes, and uh, you in particular have recently been getting deeply into Game of Thrones. Yeah, I mean, I've I've read all the books. They the s- sixth one was it or the fifth one? Fifth a, one. A Dance with Dragons was a little bit of a slog for me, but. Whatever, you know, I'm all caught up. I, I really enjoy the show. But a friend of mine who is a composer, uh, uh, sorry, a sound recorder in Montreal, um, he posted something on Facebook today that was kind of interesting. It was a blog post written by a young woman named uh, Lara St. John, who's a cellist. Um, or sorry, um, p- apologies. She's a violinist. But she she wrote writes this open letter to HBO and says, I've heard the theme song. It's cool. Why the fuck didn't you get an actual cellist to play what is ultimately the main part of the song? And and so what she did was she spent money to record the cello piece of the Game of Thrones theme song and give it to HBO. Now, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to play for you about um, 45 seconds of the original Game of Thrones theme song and and... Then I'm going to play the Game of Thrones theme song with a live cellist. And you will hear, I hope, how much richer the sound is. So here we go. The original Game of Thrones theme.
really is a great theme song. It's outstanding. It's, it's fantastic. It's, uh, it's, it's sweeping. It's epic. It really kind of captures musically yeah. what the essence of the series is about. Which is death. Well, it, 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 it is kind of almost like a haunting tune. It's, yeah. It's mournful. Bad things are going to happen to these people, and you're not going to be able to look away. Yeah, epically bad things. Oh, yes. Yeah. But, um, you know, and I love it. It's a great theme song, but it when you hear what I'm going to play for you next you'll realize that it is missing its soul. So, so here we go, uh, the Game of Thrones theme with a real cellist playing. Cello is a lovely instrument. Yeah, it is. It, it really does, but it adds so much body. Yeah, yeah. And it doesn't. It's not. It's not synthetic. Yeah. Before I felt like mm, winter is coming. Now I feel like holy shit, winter is coming. So yeah, that's uh, maybe HBO will. In in fact, in her letter, she says, "I will give to you what's called the cello stem." HBO, take it, remix the theme song so that it doesn't sound so, so much like a meaty track, <laughs> which is, which is kind of funny. So, so that was kind of an interesting thing that I saw on Facebook this week. There you go. Isn't that and grand? it, and it happened to do with a show that you've been greatly enjoying. In fact, I got into that show because of you, Scott. Yes. You said, this show is airing. We and must watch it. And it's pretty good. Yeah. yeah. And we wound up watching it uh, the first season at Daryl Hook's place, or some of the episodes from the yes, first season. at The Spin Doctor yeah. on Twitter. He's, yeah. he's a known quantity on the local <laughs> internets. <laughs> yes. Um, you should be careful with him, though. He is he's a dangerous man. He's devious. He, he's actually the guy who named our podcast. That's how devious he is. He is a deviant who came up with the unknown studio? That's right. But I mean, it, it's just a name. We do all the heavy lifting. So, really, he only did that one thing. Don't he has done nothing else. He for us. has literally done nothing else except also appeared on the show. Yeah, uh, to talk about Santa's Anonymous and he's uh, charity that he's actually supports. one of the nicest guys I've ever met. Yeah, so and we are. So. I, now we being just, tremendously unfair to him. Yeah, really. we're being giant assholes. It's true. Now, um, uh, lots of great stuff going on in the city. Uh, yeah. I will say one thing, and then we'll move on from it. The weather has changed once again. Yep. Great. Uh, and uh, now we're not going to talk about that. That's correct. We're going to talk about other stuff. Now, obviously, uh, we're going to lay off some of the heavy city topics because we have the mayor coming on. He, he will discuss uh, much of this in far greater detail with... Uh, a deeper, more profound understanding than the trivial surface level that we understand most of what's yeah. going on in the city. We are, we are the superficial part of this show. Basically. Uh, on this particular episode. Well, yes. Any other episode, we are the shit. It's this episode, amazing. however, we, you can just take the the out of that. 
sentence. And we uh, are much. we are objectively shit. <laughs> Um, and you will, you will, you'll be able to tell that when, when Mayor Iveson comes on the show. But uh, some of the interesting things that have been happening in the city, uh, it, well, one of the things that I can think of off the top of my head is that the Light the Bridge campaign has nearly achieved its goal of raising $2.5 million. Now, we talked about this uh, in our last episode with uh, Randy uh, Brzozowski. Yes. And uh, whether you love it or hate it, it looks like it's going to happen. And I, I believe that the city and its partners have already purchased some of the, the bulbs and the wires and stuff that need to go on the bridge to make this happen. I think that there are many naysayers for the project Yeah, who, when they actually see it, will be swayed. Yeah. I think that they will look at it and go, that does look much better. Mm-hmm. I can't believe that I was against this project. I... I think you're right. I hope you are. I also hope that if in if some elements of the way they light the bridge look tacky, that everyone can agree that they look tacky and some other tactic is taken. Because the thing is going to be fully programmable. Yeah. So there's no reason why I don't think there's any reason why it has to look like, like crap. Yeah. But I, I think it's going to look great. They're at... $2,412,604 raised as of this recording. And that obviously will go up by the time you listen to this. I should hope so. Now, just imagine if you're waffling, if you are sitting on a few million dollars that you'd like to just <laughs> throw in. And, and obviously there are millionaires who listen to this show. Obviously. Uh, I want you to imagine Canada Day long weekend. Here, let's, let's set the stage for this. Light some candles, you know, a little it bit is, of incense. It is Canada Day down in the River Valley. People are excited. The Great Divide waterfall has been turned on. Folks are milling around. O Canada is being sung as, as we approach fireworks hour, and then fireworks begin to light up the sky over the high-level bridge, which is lit with thousands of lights as the Great Divide waterfall cascades over its side. Mm. Can you imagine a more beautiful sight in our River Valley? You mean other than two hobos fucking? <laughs> no, a- Adam, you are the king of spoiling a moment. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I just like to ruin things. I think it'll be amazing. I'm really looking forward to it. Agreed. Um, and yeah, I mean, the other thing is, I don't think it has to be lit up all the time. It's there are many ways to do this right, and I have to believe the people who are really pushing the project forward want to do the right thing. Agreed. So. So that's happening. Uh, we also had an announcement uh, about a week and a half ago, by the time you're hearing this, uh, that the, oh, what's, what are they calling it? The, the GMP, the, the maximum, no. So anyway, the arena that they're <laughs> going to build downtown. They've done all their estimating. They figured out all the, uh, the materials they want to use. They know what the plans are going to be. And they've got a maximum budget of $480 million to spend on it. That's happening. They, they, they said, yes, in fact, we can do this for $480 million. And I guess in April or May, they're going to start digging up the ground there. Yeah. And that's, that's going. That's happening. That's pretty exciting. Yeah. I mean, whatever you think of the arena project, I mean, there's nothing to stop it now. My question is, what's going to happen uh, to the arena at Northlands? Well, that's kind of Northlands' problem to deal with. That sounds really kind of crass to word it like that but it 
they they did fight the arena. They did. They yeah. didn't want. They wanted uh, Rexall to be basically refurbished, and that was an option. That was an option that was on the table that was seriously looked at. And they went at the end of the day, it's going to cost us the exact same amount of money to essentially modernize Rexall Place mm-hmm. and expand Rexall Place to the capacity that we want as it would to just build an entirely new arena with all of these wonderful amenities in the heart of downtown where we want to revitalize the area and yeah. bring in new business. So why not just do that? So Northlands lost that fight. It's sad, but it's true. And Rexall is not going anywhere. I mean, it's, it's a functional facility. It's serviceable. It will continue to serve a purpose. Yeah. And Rex, uh, the, the Northlands board wants to continue to bring in... Uh, Wants to continue to make it uh, a concert destination mm-hmm. and and an event destination, and I imagine there are some sports that could still happen. There. Well, wouldn't the Edmonton Rush continue to play there? Or I don't know if the, are the Rush associated with the Oilers. And forgive me my ignorance. No, on that, I don't because I have a number of friends who are big Rush fans. I don't believe that they are. I think the Oil Kings are. I think the Oil Kings. Yes, are part and the of Oil that Kings will likely move to the new arena. But I but, don't think the Rush is. And the Rush are relatively popular oh yeah i think so uh, like they have they have a core of devoted fans in this city yeah and they're not going anywhere so i imagine that they will stay at rexall place and uh other stuff will happen well i think they'll they'll still want to do their uh the cfr i don't know if they'll yeah. be able to like i don't know if that means that that whoever's operating the new arena if it's the kate's group if they'll bid on getting the cfr in their arena well i imagine that they'll try to attract some of the larger concert events the lady gaga's of the world they might even try to uh bring in other other kind of touring events like that but it's possible that the cfr might be happy with northlands because there's also all of the um all the other stuff uh, and other amenities around rexall place as well like the like the expo center and whatnot that that a lot of those events make use of well and the other thing to remember is that the expo center is one of the largest conference facilities i believe in western canada and it is part of northland yeah it's it's a big part rexall and the expo center they're all part of the same umbrella yeah so i don't think rexall is going anywhere i think it'll just be repurposed it'll be interesting to see what happens over the next four years now more importantly yeah the wayne gretzky statue yes that is controversial but the the scuttlebutt is that uh, that should go with the team? Now I've heard I've heard some arguments that it should stay with Rexall because that is its home, and that is where that whole dynasty happened. Yeah, and that you know maybe with the new arena and the team rebuilding and and moving forward, maybe it's time to kind of leave that past in the past and move forward. But then the other argument is, but it's part of the team's history it should move with the team to downtown who owns the statue like does that belong to northlands or does it belong to the city of edmonton that is a very good question i think it might belong to the city yeah i think you're right i i'm not sure where i land on this one my thinking is (laughs) initially leave it leave it at the at the northland site let's not do anything rash that's fair. But if I'm building a new arena in the plans... Maybe a Wolverine statue? Yeah. That's where you were going with there, it. There's a spot for a statue. I won't say which one. I won't say which one. But Wolverine would be appropriate. Now, speaking of the Wolverine statue, which uh, I think you can find on the Make Something Edmonton website. Someone is very serious about a Wolverine statue because the Wolverine character is Canadian. Yep. 
Not from Edmonton. No. He's from a fictional town, is he not? Uh, I believe possibly in Alberta. Okay. Yeah. Very north. Um, so, so maybe they're going to build a Wolverine statue. Maybe we'll raise enough money to put Edmonton's hero. <laughs> who is apparently Wolverine. Apparently it's Wolverine in, a sta- in statue form. Along those... That's l- no more silly than a giant rotating baseball bat. I'm just going to put that out. It is, in fact, it makes a hell of a lot more sense. <laughs> because we are such a big baseball city. Well, and the baseball bats on 118th Ave, it's, and we've got a baseball field down in the River Valley, yeah. they are at least 20 blocks apart. <laughs> yep. 20 long fucking blocks. Whereas Wolverine could go up anywhere. He, and it would make sense. It would make perfect sense yeah. because he is, you know, um, a Wolverine. Uh, so the city of Detroit, um, I, I don't know if it was a Kickstarter or what, but they were trying to raise money to get to build a statue of RoboCop. Yes. A, of the original RoboCop, yes. it must be said. Uh, RoboCop, of course, let's be fair, put Detroit on the map. Yeah, it wasn't. No, all that's the, not true. It wasn't. I think all the General Motors yeah, actually put right. Detroit on the map, yeah. but but uh, RoboCop took place in Detroit. Detroit was very much mm-hmm. uh, an important character in the RoboCop mythology. Yeah, it, it really was the the place that 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 kind of story could be told, the- and uh, so there was a very serious movement to have a statue of RoboCop built for Detroit. Yeah, and uh, I guess this is actually happening. I guess yeah. they're going to do it. Well, uh, there's a Rocky Balboa statue in... Um, in St. Louis. Yeah. It makes sense. Um, the funny thing about that original RoboCop film is how prescient it was about the city of Detroit. In a way. <laughs> becoming... It's it's not funny. I mean, it truly... What has happened in in that area of the United States where there were a lot of these car manufacturers that, you know, they struggled a lot, um, kind of left the city destitute I believe Detroit declared bankruptcy. They did. Which is really sad. Yeah. Um, the, the municipality, the, the city, the corporation that is the city of Detroit has no money. They had borrowed too much. Uh, they had to declare bankruptcy to uh, deal. The city is, is insolvent. Yeah. They aren't bringing in enough capital because businesses have fled. Uh, you can get prime, prime property and real estate in Detroit at the moment for pennies. Yeah, it's pretty ridiculous. Um, like mansions in their equivalent of Beverly Hills for dollars. Like it's it's insane. I know, but unless you've got the cash to start a business and, and, and yeah, basically like an it's industry there. The, it's beautiful houses in prime territory that are worthless Yeah, because there's nothing there. We should buy a house there. We in should, Detroit. Yeah. And Just we'll to build, to help their economy help, with our podcast. Yeah, that's right. I mean, the Unknown we'll, Studio. We'll still talk about Edmonton. Coming to you almost live from, from Detroit, Detroit, but talking about Edmonton. Well, yeah, we'll discuss the bridge, the light up the bridge. And the there market. are some people who ran in a recent municipal election who uh, likened Edmonton to Detroit, a bankrupt, worthless city. Yeah, it's true. If we have the time, maybe we'll ask our, our guest about that. Indeed. I don't think we're going to have the time. There's just too much other stuff to talk about. We want to talk about positive stuff. Yeah. Uh, and not, not negative stuff. And that isn't to say that Edmonton does not have its share of troubles, because no, it does. But every city does. Yeah. And I think one of the biggest problems with this city, this is one of the, the things that bothers me about people who hate what they call boosters. I mean, I've lived here for 33 years, my whole life, and I spent the first 25 of those years hating this place. When we first started collaborating, uh, you had made it clear to me in no uncertain terms 
that your not even long-term goal, your short-term goal was to get the hell out of Dodge yeah. and move to the West Coast. That's correct. The Westest Coast. Yeah. Um, and in the years since, as we've done this podcast and become more involved in the city, that attitude has changed. It absolutely has. I've, I've, I don't know what it is. I think it might be all of uh, our peers doing really interesting stuff, the city sort of maturing, coming into its own, an economy that is frankly on the upswing for us and helping to drive things forward has made me fall in love with the city of Edmonton. Um, when my partner Rachel and I talk about the prospect of moving somewhere, we, we almost sort of laugh about it. Like, why would we leave when the upside here is so grand? So, so we're really excited to be in Edmonton. I'm really excited to be in Edmonton. There's a lot of great stuff going on, and, and that's what we're going to talk uh, with our next guest about. And, and, and before we get to that, I, I want to just mention, full disclosure, that Scott and I have known Don Iveson for a long time, from our gateway days. We were all crew members aboard that leaky death ship. It's true. And uh, the reason that we were so late getting this season started is because I did work on Mayor Iverson, Iverson's uh, political campaign. So, And I did not because I work in the media, and that would have been a tremendous conflict of interest. Yeah, so... so um, just there you go. I mean, that, that that's where the bias lies for me anyway. So so uh, after the break, we will be chatting with Edmonton's newest mayor, Don, Don Iveson. Are you looking for current, relevant, highly specialized digital media instruction? You need to seek out The Guru. Guru Digital Arts College offers intense six-month programs that simulate real-world projects. You'll work in small classes in a casual professional environment and meet industry pros who offer a mentor-style approach to learning. Some institutions make the same claim, but with Guru, you'll develop the confidence to get out and become a part of the digital media community. Come visit us anytime. Check out a class, talk with our instructors, and be part of the Guru experience. For more information, email info at gurudigitalarts.com or call 1-877-429-4878. We should take a moment. I love this part of the show. Uh, to send out a big thank you. A big a big heart, a big I love you. Some post-V-Day love. Indeed. Yeah. We also sent them some pre-V-Day love, we did. as I recall. We are, we are mandated to do so by virtue of their sponsorship agreement with us. It's true. But they're also fabulous. It's also true. And the people that we're talking about right now, Scott, who are we talking about? Well, let's start with our newest sponsor. Let's shake things up a little bit. This is interesting. I like this. Uh, Our newest sponsor, of course, Oodle Noodle. Oodle Noodle, yes. The restaurant. The Edmonton. You're thinking they couldn't possibly be talking about the restaurant, but we are. They are now proud sponsors of the Unknown Studio. They like what we do. We like what they do, which is... Make delicious noodles. Oh, so good. And from that mutual like, <laughs> uh, a wonderful and magical relationship has sprung. Yeah, so they, they are supporting us uh, this season, and we are very grateful to have their assistance. If you've never eaten at noodle, Oodle Noodle before, I really, truly believe that you're missing out. It's, it's among the best fast food in the city, in my opinion. Uh, agreed. And we're not just saying that because they furnish us with Oodle Noodle. No, it's because they make delicious noodles. Yeah, so uh, if you're looking for an outstanding, quick-serve Asian cuisine place, Oodle Noodle is for you. They even deliver. Did That's you know right. That? Yeah. They, they, will, they will take the noodles 
to you. It's true. If you so desire. So you can find them online at oodlenoodle.ca, and you can also find them on Twitter. They're quite hilarious on Twitter. And you can find them all around the city. There's almost certainly a Noodle Noodle near you right now. They've got locations downtown, North Edmonton and Clearview, the West End, White Avenue, Leduc, Spruce Grove. The noodles are expanding. The noodle empire. It's, it is. It kind of feels like that. An oodly empire. Oodles of empires. Anyway, we're we're gonna work on that one. We're gonna. Don't worry, oodle noodle. We'll we'll get better at this. Yeah. Now we should thank our, our other sponsor who's been with us since nearly the beginning of That's this right. podcast and have continued to support us through times lean and fat, uh, thick and thin, fat and skinny. They have supported us in good times and bad. Like they are, of course. Edmonton's Hogwarts of digital media. It is Guru Digital Arts College. Yes, headed by the Dumbledore-esque headmaster, Owen Briarly and a slew of outstanding wizardly instructors. That's right. They, they perform magic. They do, actually. Uh, by taking you and molding you into a digital arts powerhouse. So if you're interested in digital media design, illustration, 2D or 3D animation, video game level design, you're looking for a career change, or you're you're just trying to figure out what to do with your life, gurudigitalarts.com is going to have some answers for you. We are very fortunate today, Scott, to have uh, a special someone in the studio with us. Indeed. The specialist someone. A specialist in civic politics. That's right. The mayor of Edmonton, Mr. Don Iveson. Thank you for joining us. It's my pleasure to be here. <laughs> Not only is Don the second mayor to appear on this show, he is also a second-time guest on this show. It's true, yeah. we had it's, Don was uh, our second-ever guest when he was a city councilor for, was that Ward 5 at the time? Ward 5 at the time. Wow, those were the days, hey? I'm told this nearly killed one of your friends, though. It was so boring. Uh, it wasn't so much the... Uh, conversation that was boring so much as the cricket sounds in the background yeah we were doing terrible things with this podcast you don't do that no no okay that's good yes because it's ridiculous but anyway uh really glad to have you on the show and we wanted to just see how the first hundred or so days of being in office hundred plus days yeah at this point yeah how's that how's the mayor thing going it's going well. You know, um, I was very fortunate to get elected with a really strong group of city councillors. And um, a lot of people were worried during the election. They said, oh, my goodness, there's going to be six new city councillors. What are, you know, how is this possibly going to work? They're going to show up and they're going to be completely clueless for the first two or three years of being city councillors. There was a great deal of hyperbole about this. And it turns out that they had um, run in the election themselves. They had spoken to citizens, as one does when one is running for city council, and and they had spoken to many. I think all of them did a lot of door knocking, just like I did in 2007 and in 2010 when running for council. And that's the most important preparation I think there there is, because it grounds you in what uh, Edmontonians are really feeling about uh, the conditions of the roads, downtown, LRT, bike lanes, whatever. So... When this group of people showed up, they'd all had the same experience, which is they just touched base with the people they represent. Yeah. And that is the most important preparation that anyone can have. And frankly, having six of them who had just gone back and done that in earnest, um, I think was really refreshing for the process. Because if you're an incumbent, you've been around for a while, frankly, you probably don't have to go out and do that. I think some people make a point of it, going out and touching base with the electorate. Some, well, 
without naming names, not so much. So the point is that um, the group of councillors that got elected, um, a huge number of them have had that experience. And so the discussions we had from day one were grounded in the most important reference point for us, which is what Edmontonians are thinking. And the good news is they're thinking positive things about where the city's at, where the city's going. And that's, that's the foundation for all the work that we're doing from here. And then, the, you know, just strengthening relationships with all the people, that's going well. Um, you know, there wasn't a big changeover on the city administrative side, so there's good continuity there. The uh, returning councillors were really good about taking the new councillors under their wing, and so the group is gelling really, really nicely. And um, the neat thing to see, and some of the returning councillors have mentioned this, is that now when we debate something, and this has happened a few times, they're listening to each other, and they're open to to different ideas and some of them will even say you know what I hadn't considered that I'm changing my mind thank you for you know such and such an argument that that didn't happen before what at was least it, not very often so what was it like before well I think a lot of the times people came in knowing what they they thought assuming that they knew best and weren't frankly listening as often to to other counselors and other points of view and there seems to be a little bit more of that happening and um, so the new counselors their perspective matters and the returning counselors are are listening I think a little better than they were before and that just that raises a level of debate and that's the most that's the the thing that I've appreciated the most out of the last hundred days. And it's it was interesting to see you guys get right into the budget and I believe that when the final vote came down it was a unanimous vote to pass the budget was it not? Yeah for the first time in five years we, we passed a budget unanimously and um, that was that was gratifying but again that was an example of where there was a a high level of debate um, in each of the decisions that we had to make because it's a series of of uh, votes on amendments that alter the budget up and down and everything from Green Shack to transit service and how we're going to ensure that we meet the needs of our citizens for services while balancing that against the the overall tax burden that people face. So so it was good. It was a, it was a very very strong budget and we had positive public reaction to it. And the general consensus then would be that there's there's a feeling of, of um, cooperation and consensus. Very much so. That's the that's the um, the zeitgeist of the council. Oh, good word. <laughs> well, there's no English word for it. <laughs> Do you find the new council has also been working well with with the city administration? I think so. Um, city administration um, is is very open to hearing to uh, what they had to say. So we did some debrief sessions right after the election as council meetings, but sort of a little more informal setting in one of our breakout rooms. And many of city administration, uh, not just the city manager, but uh, um, mid-level managers were there to hear those discussions. And they heard loud and clear that there's work to do on improving our public engagement practices, uh, that um, they want that citizens want to see value for money, uh, that we need to make investments in basic infrastructure for flood relief and to try to get ahead of the pothole problem and things like that. So an, an administration wasn't defensive or argumentative about any of that. They they really said, yeah, okay. And they, they took the that download from the councillors, who, as I said, had had that reference point, that reference check back out to our citizens. And, and um, you know, they were they've they've heard that and not not only heard it but also you know realigned their own priorities for 2014 their focus on uh our two percent efficiency initiative you know is is spinning up uh their focus on uh public engagement they've really adjusted 
some of their own internal resources and made that a focus for for the administration and so so things are shifting and realigning in response to councillors priorities which is good so and now you're one of the most plugged in mayors i think that, that the city's had uh you're very active in social media what are you hearing from citizens what is the in your mind what is the feeling about edmonton it depends whether it's snowing or not yeah well we and, and you know certainly people have complained about snow removal and, and you've been quite quite active in trying to uh, to allay their concerns but uh, other than that uh, what are you hearing from citizens are they are they are they happy are they sad you know it's oh people are finding that it's okay to like Edmonton that it's I mean it's there's been a culture I think for a long time of kind of not taking ourselves too seriously and and that's one of the things I love about Edmonton it's not a pretentious city at all and I would never want it to become that but part of being unpretentious is sort of you know, making fun of yourself a little bit. But if all you have is kind of cynical, um, dismissive commentary, which I think, you know, well, at times we've we've had a lot of that in Edmonton. Mm -hmm. um, but I think there's room for people to be, you know, excited about the quirky thing that they're doing in Edmonton. And, and Make Something Edmonton as an initiative has been trying to make room for that stuff and say, no, that's those those wacky little projects are things that make Edmonton cool, like whether it's the Wolverine statue and uh, or Which whether it's totally going to happen or light the, the bridge. So, um, you know, that it's and it's OK to be excited about living here. Yeah. And so I think there's a little bit of a tone shift there and you see it in social media and and uh, people are kind of celebrating the neat things that are happening here and um, building off each other a little bit too. At least that's that's kind of what I see. And yeah. I have a great perch because people are sending me all kinds of stuff all the time and, it, and it's really encouraging because there's lots of initiative out there. Lots of people doing the city building. So they're not waiting for the city to do it. They want the city to do things like LRT and downtown revitalization and fix the roads. But meantime, they want to go out and build community and, and build institutions, build businesses, build uh, new social enterprises to get things done in the city. And so there's this thirst and this impatience to do cool things, which um, which is really neat to see. It's very, I th but I think it's it's what Edmonton's been about. It's just it's people are there's a momentum gaining behind it. Sure. Now, uh, what are what are some of the things that are on your list beyond these hundred days to to get done? And certainly, we know that uh, that LRT is a big priority of that, and the, fe the federal budget uh, came out. What what was your feeling about that? Well, the federal budget confirmed what we had been hearing from local MPs, which is that uh, some of the new federal funding, um, which sounds like a lot of money over 10 years and spread out across the country it is, and it's a significant increase in the investment uh, compared to history from the federal government. It's still a long way from what we need uh, to really repair our city's uh, major infrastructure deficits as well as start to build new infrastructure into the future. So I'll qualify it to say that of course, municipalities are always going to say it's not enough, and the other orders of government say, "Well, when would it ever be enough?" But, but, um, but there was encouraging new funding in there that we will be able to apply to the Southeast LRT. So it's looking like the federal funding part of that project is coming together, and uh, we continue to work with the provincial government to um, find the funding and the timing and the cash flow, and with them to to jump on board uh, to uh, make the Southeast LRT happen. Uh, without losing another year in the construction cycle. So 
Um, so that's that's continues to be work, and we're trying to get that done by uh, by the end of April is when we really need to know that the funding's secured. And again, we don't need cash in hand. We need um, a commitment that dollars will be there in the construction seasons where the heavy digging is happening in 2017, 2018, and when it would open in 2019. Um, so so we continue to work with them on that. But you know, above and beyond that, the case that I'm trying to make along with Mayor Nenshi from Calgary and other mayors from across the country is, and we'll be going to Ottawa to talk about this and housing and other key issues for cities in a couple of weeks, is that we really do need, people have called it a national transit strategy, but whatever you want to call it, we need a sustained and predictable investment in this kind of infrastructure to make sure that Canadian cities can adapt to the urban realities, can can get ahead of congestion before it hits us or catch up in cities like Toronto and Vancouver where where they're already struggling with it. So that's going to be continue to be a big focus, is trying to get a line of sight to completing the entire LRT network uh, in a timely fashion, not just you know, we don't want to do the southeast and then wait another 10 years. We yeah. want to figure out a way where we can actually keep building starting in sort of 16, 17, 18. Um, you know, get a sense that we can carry on building the LRT towards the west and figure out how we're going to get it northwest uh, uh, past uh, past Nate in the airport lands. Mm-hmm. And uh, there was an announcement a couple weeks ago about the arena uh, shovels are in the ground in April for that project. How are you feeling about getting that sort of, I don't want to say back on the rails because I don't think it was really off the rails, but to get that train moving again? This was a big focus for our first 100 days, and, and I kind of did a 100-day plan and then just forgot to tell people that <laughs> I had a 100-day plan, but it was more a to-do list for me. And right on the top of that list was make sure this arena thing <laughs> stays on track and stays within the budget because without getting into the gory details, if it had come back above budget, you know, there would have been a process to work through, but it would have cast all this doubt on the project again. It would have been a huge um, consumption of political resources in the city and introduced uncertainty for for businesses that want to invest in our downtown. So we wanted to avoid that. And so I, I met with uh, lots of folks from city administration, uh, chatted with people at PCL and kept in touch with the, the Cates group and just drove and drove and drove to keep it within the 480 and they had to make a few tough decisions to get there nothing that compromises the building's design excellence or its its functional requirements to be a a great NHL venue and conference venue um, but there's give and take to stay within the budget and and I'm proud of the team that uh, that uh, negotiated it from all sides and PCL did great work for us and so now we just have certainty so people who want to invest in downtown can know that you know barring massive natural disaster or something like this is going to happen and um and we'll be able to drop the puck in 2016. And what have you been hearing from from you know prospective business owners who want to invest in downtown anything now that the now that the ink is dry on that? Well I think you know Stantec wants to consolidate uh and move a little bit closer into the downtown core from their current location i think they were going to do that anyway but you know they're very close to their final decision and um this just helps put them over the edge right cool. and likewise enbridge which has a huge employee group in in the city they're looking at consolidating from several buildings into one and um so this just helps give those guys who are right on the edge anyway the last bit of confidence to say yeah this is the right move for our company um, but there are lots of other mid-sized businesses. I've been talking to some of the folks in commercial real estate who, um, who've been dangling this out there to say, you know, like Intuit, which is a 
company with suburban office campus that moved downtown this year or late last year. Um, there are 10 other businesses with a few hundred employees who are out there who are thinking about where they're going to be and they're in the suburbs right now and they're thinking about downtown and something like this 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 might be the thing that tips it for one or two of them and if we can get more of those people downtown then we can um, you know uh, occupy some of the vacant office space and there isn't that much um, and and continue to drive demand for investment in downtown now you mentioned uh, a secret 100 day to-do list uh, I'm, and obviously you managed to get uh, some of the important stuff done. Is there anything that you uh, didn't quite manage to get done in 100 days that you're now going to be focusing on in the in the weeks to come? Well, the only thing was securing uh, all of the funding necessary. The only thing on my list, uh, and this is off the top of my head, but the only thing on my list that, that we haven't accomplished yet is just securing all of the funding for the LRT. We've made great progress with the feds. We're on our way with the province. Um, and I'm optimistic that the, that the province will, will see their way to helping us. Um, so that's the only other piece of business. But, but really, the 100-day thing was, you know, let's do our advocacy for, for the LRT and try to secure that commitment by the, by the deadline to, to go out for the procurement process, which is kind of the end of April. So, so I certainly think we've, we've implemented our advocacy uh, strategy on that, and, and we're continuing to full-court press on it. So... So no, actually, everything everything we wanted to do, a lot of it was around transition. Some of it was around you know um, the bike lanes conversation, which we've been working through. Um, some of the emergent issues uh, around budget and road infrastructure and drainage infrastructure, things that we addressed in the budget. So we got we got a fair bit done in the first hundred days. That was actually it. Sounds like it was a pretty ambitious uh, list of things to do. And and the reason that I say that is because the election ends less than a week later. You're sworn in. And you're basically expected to continue with the business of the city as though nothing has happened. Yeah, it was it was really sweet, actually. Mayor Mandel um, agreed to meet with me the morning after the election. Um, and uh, so I had two hours off between being the candidate, essentially, on election night and essentially functioning as the kind of acting mayor because I, I woke up after two hours of sleep, those were the two hours that I had off, and went and did media for about six or seven hours, went to City Hall, met with the, the mayor, and uh, he handed me the keys to the office essentially and said, okay, I'm getting out of your hair. Call me if you need anything. Uh, you're in charge. <laughs> I said, okay. So then we did a couple more hours of media because we had national media interest in, in what had happened in Edmonton, which was great for the city. Um, and I tried not to embarrass us in my state of fatigue. Um, <laughs> I think you did okay. Uh, it was really, really cool. I'd, I'd never imagined in my wildest dreams I'd be on As It Happens. And there I was, yeah. talking, to, talking to Toronto. And in fact, twice. You were, you were on As It ha Happens with Mayor Nenshi as well. Yes. Which is pretty cool to see these two powerhouse mayors of Alberta you know, telling Toronto CBC how it is. Well, people have people have told me that they really have noticed down east um, for a variety of reasons. Uh, <laughs> what is happening in Alberta here, and that is all I will say about that. But uh, um, but yeah. So anyway, there was this. Uh, it was it was a pretty ridiculous transition. Um, but we got the office up and running quickly, and um, and uh, yeah, swearing in was a few days later, and just haven't looked back. How do you organize your day? I mean, I, obviously you have a staff that helps you, but like, you know, we get we get the public schedules and it seems like no day is the same. And even if it's one day of executive council meetings, 
that just about anything could happen. So what does a typical day in the life of Mayor Don Iveson look like? There's no such thing. No, I'm shaking my head for the listeners at home. There's no such thing as the um, typical day for the mayor. And that's actually one of the things I really love about the gig is that uh, each day is different. You're meeting with different people. You're tackling different issues all the time. Um, for me, the, the challenge is, you know, you go through a bunch of interaction with people and debate and discussion and engagement, and then you've still got to actually convert that to action. And so I got to find the tough thing for me is to find some time at, back at my desk where I can take my notes and, and send an email, get something moving or organize another meeting to get some people around a table to solve a problem. And uh, that's, that's the only struggle is just finding time to, um, uh, because my day can be completely filled up with meetings and I actually need time to execute stuff. And so we're getting better at that, um, but I've been spending a lot of time on the weekends at my office so that I can actually get some stuff done because the, the, the days, the weekdays are filled with, with meetings. And they're all interesting. It's just, you know, follow through is a challenge. But uh, my staff's taken more and more of that off my plate too. So as an office, we're just, we're getting up and running. It's starting to hum now, so. Great. Are you giving me googly eyes because it's your favorite part of the show? Yes, it's the part of the show that I love the most. The Fast 15. That is the one. Now, we have previously Fast 15, Don. In fact, he was the first Fast 15 because it was a segment that Adam came up with off the top of his head. (laughs) While we were interviewing. Yeah, it's true. But he has not done the new Fast 15. No, we revised questions. Do you have any recollection of the Fast 15? Uh, from the first time we did it, yes. And cool. I've heard you do it with other people. So I braced myself. All right. I'm clenched was, right now, pre- actually. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we're gonna, we'll, we'll be gentle. Here's the Fast 15 with Edmonton's Mayor, Don Iveson. Number one, your favorite food. And we've stumped him. <laughs> <laughs> uh, these days, I'm eating a lot of peanut butter sandwiches at the office. <laughs> right on. Your favorite color? Green. Mac, PC, or Linux? Macintosh. Dogs or cats? We had an Apple IIe at my house when I was three that my mom uh, got for to write her doctoral thesis on. So we've been in Apple household for over three decades. That's amazing, actually. Uh, dogs or cats? Dogs. Coffee or tea? Coffee. Your favorite holiday? New Year's. Ooh, I don't know that anyone's ever said that before. I don't think anyone has. Congratulations. Thank you. You're very original. I stand for innovation. Your, <laughs> your favorite sport? Uh, I'm going to go with sailing, oh, right which on. is actually a sport, even though mostly I do it in a leisurely fashion. But <laughs> I have been in sailboat races. Really? And they're actually really fun. Awesome. What about a favorite pastime? Hmm. I'm gonna say I'm gonna say riding my bike. Right on. A favorite music right now? I've been listening. I'm still listening to Daft Punk from last summer. I don't know why, but it's 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 catchy. They won a Grammy for it. They did yeah. several, or just one. I th- I'm not sure. I wasn't uh, paying that close there were, attention. Yeah. There yeah. were awards. Daft Punk has awards. There you go. That is what you need to know. Uh, your favorite movie. Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. I think that was my answer last time, too. Why change Probably. a beautiful thing? Mm-hmm. I mean, really. The space opera. Your, your favorite video game? 
I enjoy driving games, so I'm going to go with uh, Burnout. Anything from the Burnout series. Yeah, those are really fun. Nothing like crashing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Especially when it's not real. Mm-hmm. I mean, traffic safety is important to everyone. Please don't speed. <laughs> Your, if you could have one superpower, what would it be? Uh, the, the power to... Uh, Teleportation, yeah, that would be handy. Yeah, teleportation. Get around yep. quickly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Why? Why? With stay? my day, with my calendar, the way that it is, absolutely. Yeah. So racing games and teleportation both may be related to the mayor's schedule. Uh, I think I know the answer to this question, but I have to ask it: Star Wars or Star Trek? I'll refer to you to the previous <laughs> answer to the movie question. There you go. I, you know, Star Wars is fine. It's good. It's cool. Uh, but, yeah, I'm definitely Spoken preferential like a politician. to, uh, <laughs> preferential to uh, Star Trek. <laughs> Way to true. go. Right on. You have won the hearts and minds of the two hosts of this show, certainly. Uh, what is one – we're into the wild card questions. So what is one of the coolest perks of being the mayor? I have this, uh, this was the same for Steven, and, and he's in withdrawal actually, not having this anymore. He, every time I see him, he, he reminds me of it, <laughs> how important it is, how blessed it is to have the park anywhere placard, which I, I think means I could even park in front of a fire hydrant or in an accessible parking stall, even though I will not do those things. But I can park in loading zones, Wow, which is awesome. That's and I can park for as long as I want in loading zones, which is awesome. <laughs> That's great. Now... Uh, fun fact, when I delivered... That's as close as it comes to the keys to the city. When I delivered <laughs> newspapers for the Gateway, uh, which is a thing that we were all involved in at one point, um, I discovered that driving a featureless, windowless white <laughs> van also gave you the power to park anywhere you want. It's true, yeah. Because no one questions it. They assume that you're there on business. Yep. Yeah. Or worse, and they avoid you. Well, yeah. Exactly. So. Well, there's that. And final wild card question... What, in your mind, is one of the coolest features of your physical office space? Because it's a pretty pretty big chunk of City Hall. What do you like the most about your office? The view out over Churchill Square is is superb, and uh, it's lovely to be able to look out there, especially when I'm there on the weekend, and I can see I can look out and see a bit of the farmer's market stuff happening below inside. And then looking out beyond that, you know, in the wintertime, there are people skating and there are activities happening on the square. It's just lovely to see families downtown there. So the view of people coming and enjoying their city and their public spaces is the best part. Right on. That was the Fast 15 with Mayor Don Iveson. Don, thanks for coming back on the show. That was great to have you. It was my pleasure. Don, for those of you who can't see him, is wearing a tuxedo because he has <laughs> somewhere else to be now. So I we, have to go to a ball after this. We will send him on his way. Thanks again. You've been listening to The Unknown Studio, episode 95. Our guest, Mayor Don Iveson, pre-production by Adam Rosenhart, post-production by Scott C. Bourgeois. The Unknown Studio is a proud member of the League of Extraordinary Media. You can visit us on the web at theunknownstudio.ca. Thanks for listening.
Hey, Scott. Yes, Adam. How did I do on that that ski jump run? Um, well, I wasn't expecting that ski jump. <laughs> 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 do, you want, do you want to try that again? <laughs> <laughs>